Well, I want to uh, ask you to turn with me once again in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 19 through 23 this morning. And uh, today we are getting another look at uh, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And I think, I think we can really get a, a sense of what he's doing here if we ask ourselves the question, in the, this set of verses, which direction is Paul facing? And the answer to that question is Paul is facing outward. Um, as he's writing these words, he is laying out for us some of the principles that governed his missionary endeavors. If you like, what we have here before us are some of the principles for Paul's missionary ministry. And then in the next set of verses, Paul turns inward to articulate some of the personal principles that governed his life as, as a Christian. And if we're, if we're going to be faithful as a church, and if we're going to be faithful and fruitful servants of Christ, then I think what we really desperately need is to have these truths, both of them, bolted down in our minds uh, regarding missionary principles and personal principles. I think this is a really important portion of 1 Corinthians for us, and particularly times in which we find ourselves. Uh, so let's go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23, and let's give our attention to the hearing of God's word. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. There is a, an article online inviting responses. And the the title of the article is, is a question, and the question is, are you offended by evangelism? It's fascinating to just scroll through the varying responses to that question. I think it, a lot of the answers are instructive for us understanding the times in which we live. Here are a few of them. One response said evangelism is a form of abuse. Another, offensive, is perhaps not the first word I would think of, but I'd say it is definitely irritating, or at least seriously annoying. Another one said, evangelism is unhealthy, best to avoid it. Now, after I looked at that, and as I was working through this text in preparation, I had another article appear on my newsfeed that grabbed my attention. Because the sole purpose of that article was to tell you that we have a newly elected congressman who has, at times in his life, engaged in evangelism. There's no 
argument in the article suggesting why that is wrong, why it should be thought of as an evil thing to be avoided. It's just simply stating the fact as if stating the fact is itself incriminating. That We have a newly elected U.S. congressman who has at times in his life tried to talk to people about his Christian faith. Now, so needless to say, in light of some of those things, evangelism is not very popular today. It is increasingly common in our society to consider it uh, intolerant, coercive, and as we just saw a moment ago, for some even abusive. And for sure, we, we need to say there are dreadful, dreadful examples of people using intolerant and coercive means, and we ought to denounce those things and intentionally distance ourselves from them. But nevertheless, even a careful, thoughtful, gentle, loving, truthful proclamation of the gospel today, it's often met with, with anger, hostility, frustration, maybe even an intolerant reaction in our, in our society. So much so that I think many, many Christians are increasingly hesitant to speak about Jesus to others at all. At least if you're like me, you, you might feel that way too. And add to that the, the range of complicated questions that if we're going to be responsible followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to work through. Questions like, okay, how do we flex to particular concerns of this present generation with, with understanding and nuance and care without at the same time making so many adjustments along the way that we end up losing the gospel? Or on the other hand, how do we get engaged and stay engaged in outreach and mission, pressing the claims of Jesus and calling all people everywhere to repent and to trust in Christ with a sense of boldness and urgency? How do we do that without at the same time confirming some of the worst stereotypes the world has about Christians and evangelism? How do we endure the hostility of many in our society toward evangelism without wimping or, or caving altogether in the, the task Christ has entrusted to his church to go and to make disciples. See, evangelism presents some real challenges when we begin to think about it. Can, can we all just admit that this morning at the start? That this is not an, an easy thing for us to do. Some of us find this really hard, that we're a little uncomfortable with the idea of engaging in evangelism, evangelism, whatever part we might play in that. And if you're like me, you feel like you need all of the help that you can get when it comes to this issue. And I just want us to admit that honestly up front, because it's, it's certainly how I feel at times as your pastor. That's one of the reasons that I am so thankful for this passage and the opportunity to work through it together this morning. Because this is one of those places in the Bible that helps us think through questions like, how, how can we be faithful and adaptable as we seek to get the good news about Jesus to others? How can we be faithful and flexible? This is a crucial passage concerning our Christian witness in the world. So here's real help for the church and for believers as we struggle to make Christ known. So let's take a look this morning at, at some of Paul's missionary principles, okay? And the first principle I want us to see here 
is the evangelistic imperative that drives the Apostle Paul. The, the evangelistic imperative that drives him. Do you see how Paul expresses his goal again and again and again and again and again throughout these verses? In verses 19 through 23. He says it five times that his goal is to win people. That's his goal. Verse 19, that I might win more of them. Verse 20, he sets out in order to win Jews and to win those under the law. Verse 21, he's also seeking to win those who are outside the law. Verse 22, to win the weak. So this is very clearly the goal that Paul has in view in his missionary endeavors, to win people. Now I think having this goal in view can help to keep us from going wrong in at least two ways. Remembering that the goal is to win people will keep us from thinking that the goal is merely to win an argument. Paul wasn't opposed, let's be clear about this, he wasn't opposed to debate. He wasn't opposed to engaging people in the public square. He wasn't hesitant to reason with people from the scriptures, the things concerning Jesus Christ. But he wasn't concerned so much with winning an argument as he was with persuasion, with winning people. And so, yes, we are to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Yes, we are to take every thought captive for Christ. But we engage in those endeavors in order to win people for Christ. Not to humiliate them or to try to puff ourselves up. But keeping this goal in view will also, I think, challenge us when... We might shy away from saying anything at all to anyone about the gospel. Paul had a goal, you see, which, which compelled him to speak because he wanted to win people. And if you look at verse 22, it, it's interesting that he changes the word. As he talks about the goal of his labors, he, he's talking about winning people, but in verse 22 he changes the word from winning people, to help us understand what he means by that. Verse 22, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And so he's helping us to understand, here's what's at stake. As Paul carefully, purposefully developed strategies and methods in order to persuade and convince and win people, not merely to win an argument, but to win people. But what he means by winning people is for Paul, that means that through the proclamation of the gospel, salvation breaks into their hearts. What is at stake here is not simply the failure or success of an argument, but man's eternal destiny. It is the weight and the urgency of the human predicament that ignites a fire under the Apostle Paul To drive him to proclaim the gospel so that he might win some. So that through him, some might be saved. And friends, that means for us as as we engage others, we we have no mandate, do we, to, to merely win an argument. Jesus did not say either to go into all the world and gain cultural approval. He said, go and make disciples. Win people. That's the goal. Win them for Christ that they might be saved. And so when Paul looked out on the world, he saw saw men and women and boys and girls who were 
headed to a lost eternity. And friends, that, that, ought, that ought to challenge us. That ought to hit us right here. I, I know as I'm thinking about this that I have some repenting to do. Our concern ought to be for the multitudes throughout this land and throughout this world who are, who are lost without God and without hope in the world. Our concern ought to, ought to be to do all that we can by any legitimate means in order to win people to Christ so that by any means we might be used by the Lord to save some. That was Paul's concern, and I believe that God calls us as a church to make it ours also. There was this evangelistic imperative driving the Apostle Paul, and I think it ought to be motivating us too. But then secondly, what I want you to see as well is there's this, there's this evangelistic imperative that compelled the Apostle Paul to develop an evangelistic strategy. To give expression to this fire lit underneath him to win others, he, he develops this strategy to help him do so effectively. And I think we can summarize his strategy in two words. Faithful flexibility. Faithful flexibility. Paul was faithful and flexible. Now let's just be honest with ourselves this morning. We Presbyterians and Reformed types probably get a little bit uncomfortable when we hear that sort of language, don't we? we? We don't like to flex because sometimes we're prone to confuse being faithful with being unwilling to adapt to make any kind of accommodation to the people we are ministering to. But that is not at all how Paul viewed it. It's not how he thought about it. Remaining faithful to the gospel, Paul was ready and willing to be flexible. You can see that if you take a look at verse 19. It says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And so again, there's, there's the goal. He wants to win people. He wants them to be saved. He wants them to know the blessings of the gospel. And so he is willing to be remarkably, personally adaptable to accomplish, to reach that goal. He will be a servant of all, even though he is free from all. That is to say, Christ Christ is the master of his life. But for Jesus' sake, he is willing to become a servant of all, though he is free from all. The people he serves are not his master. Jesus Christ is. But he is willing to become their servant for Jesus' sake. Now, dear friends, I I think it's so important that we get that straight in our thinking because some confusion about this is wreaking havoc in the church today. It's causing a lot of damage. Paul is saying he is a servant of all, but the world is not his master. Jesus Christ is. So we we need to get that straight in our thinking. We are called to be the servants of all people, but the world is not our master. Jesus Christ is our master. See, if the world is our master, then the world gets to dictate our message. The world gets to set the terms of the agenda. And that would mean the culture with its prevailing opinions and assumptions and preferences will drive and determine the message we use in our service of them. But that is not how Paul describes this at all, is it? 
No, he says we are servants of all, mastered only by Jesus. And that means that while we are free to be flexible in our service, our message is not determined by the world's dictates, but by Christ. Mastered by Jesus, there can be faithful flexibility. And Paul, in verses 20 through 22, uh, reflects that. He gives us examples of how he worked that out in his own ministry endeavors. So take a look at verses 20 through 22. To the Jew I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, that is, under the regulations and the ceremonies of the Mosaic Covenant, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. And to those outside the law, Gentiles, he has in view here, I became as one outside the law, though not free from the law of God, um, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And to the weak, he says, I became weak. Just remember the, the weak in Corinth in the previous chapter, those whose weak consciences were offended by the careless use of liberty within the church of Corinth. Paul says, I will take a stand with the weak. I will give up my rights so as to win them for the gospel. Okay, so do you see, you see the two sides of Paul's strategy here? There is flexibility on the one hand and there is faithfulness on the other. And those two things are joined inseparably together. He is remarkably flexible. Think about it. Even though he has come to understand that Christ has put away the ceremonial regulations of the Mosaic Covenant. They have been, they have been fulfilled in Christ. We're not obligated to those things anymore. When he's ministering to Jewish people, he would flex and adapt and gladly adopt some of those Jewish customs so as not to give undue offense and to earn a hearing for the gospel. Now, of course, if those regulations or any rituals contradicted the free grace of God that is in Jesus Christ, Paul would speak against that. So the moment somebody said, hey, circumcision is necessary uh, for salvation, Paul would reject that outright. But Paul was so flexible you might be thinking of this in Acts chapter 16, verse 3, Paul took Timothy aside and had him circumcised because he knew that he would be ministering among the Jews and he did not want it to be a stumbling block. Now think about that. Actually, don't think about it, but... You know. Paul taking the grown man aside and circumcising him so as not to give an offense in order to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. He was prepared to make tremendous sacrifices, both Paul and Timothy. He displays an incredible personal flexibility, seeking to identify what were the major concerns and stumbling blocks. And he was always asking, how can I avoid giving undue offense so that the cross of Christ is the only offense that I would set before the world. And so we've, we've thought about this, this principle of, of faithful flexibility. We've seen a little bit of how Paul applied it. But let's think for just a few minutes about how this principle might apply in, in our own day today. And this is likely to get me into some trouble, but I'm getting used to that. 
and we love each other, so we can talk about these sort of things, and you can come and, you can come and uh, beat me up later. But let's, let's just imagine Paul. Let's imagine Paul is ministering in 2020 here in the United States of America, and he's, he's ministering in a thriving metropolis like Corinth was in its own day. Now, that would mean, by and large, that he would be ministering in what many folks are calling now a mask-up culture. But some of Paul's fellow believers, whom he, he dearly loves and cares for, are what are known as anti-maskers. So he's heard all of the discussions and the arguments that masks are not effective, that mask mandates are a form of government overreach, and it's, it's really not about the mask. It's a symbol of tyrannical control, and we need to resist now before we lose more of our freedoms. And let's say this. Let's say maybe Paul sympathizes with some of those concerns. But here he finds himself in the wider culture, and he's thinking about his missionary endeavors, um, and folks in the culture which he wants to reach are saying, look, masks are important for public health in the midst of a pandemic, and it's, it's considered careless to not wear one in public. And so here's Paul, whose driving concern is winning people to Christ. Here's Paul who says he will become all things to all people in order that he might win some. I know probably a hundred qualifications are needed here, but my point here is not about the merits of mask wearing, okay? My point, here, my point here is not about the merits of mask wearing. That's another discussion for another time. It's not what I'm after. But here's my question. Paul finds himself ministering in a city where people think wearing a mask is important for public health. And he wants to reach those individuals. So here's my question for you. I'm just trying to get you to think about this. What do you think he would do? Let's, let's take it a step further. Let's even grant that Paul himself is indeed an anti-masker personally. What do you think he's going to do? Is he going to take a stand for his personal opinion? Or is he going to say, you know, regardless of what I think about masks, I have a bigger, more important concern. Maybe I don't like masks. Maybe... Maybe, pe- maybe I think people are driven by fear in wearing them. Maybe there are legitimate concerns about a misuse of political power and authority. But more important than all of those concerns is my driving, compelling desire to see people brought to Christ. And it is not a political ideology that I am seeking to win people to. It is Christ. And so I am prepared to be flexible so as not to give unnecessary offense in order that I might win people for Christ. Again, this is not about the merits of mask wearing. And you will notice that I set it up so that we're talking about a, a, uh, a very unique, distinct situation here. But I'm trying to help us see that applying this principle really does mean that you need to be ready to be the servant of others. Uh, we can sit all day in our ivory towers and think about, wow, you know, Paul had Timothy circumcised. Isn't that amazing? But eventually we're going to have to come down out of our towers and enter the real world, the world that we live in. And uh, so I'm just trying to get us to think about this. You know, I use the mask illustration to show us how uncomfortable 
this is inevitably going to make some Christians feel. Because it's going to inevitably mean different things for different people in different times and places. And we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with that. I have no doubt that Paul's application of these principles made many in the church feel uneasy and uncomfortable. Think about what some of the mature Christians might have been thinking when Paul had Timothy circumcised to evangelize the Jews. I can can just hear people saying, Paul, what on earth are you thinking? You're compromising. Aren't you the one who argued so strongly and forcefully against the circumcision party from Jerusalem? Aren't you the one who said neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything? So why would you circumcise Timothy? We're really disappointed. We're really disappointed in you, Paul. We thought, we thought you were a faithful apostle. But with these kind of compromises, we're not so sure anymore. I think if Paul were to respond to that, I think he would have simply said something along the lines of, I am willing to be their servant for Jesus' sake. I will not compromise the gospel, but I, I will bend over backwards. I will adapt for their sake. I will become all things for all people in order that I might win some. Now, that doesn't mean that he was free from all constraints. His flexibility is not absolute. His flexibility, it's not a synonym for compromise, He doesn't simply study the culture and work out, okay, this is what people want, so I'll just give it to them in Christian terms. That was not Paul's approach. He says he's under the law of Christ. His conscience is held captive to the truth of God as it is revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus dictates and governs his message and his ministry, the limits of what is and what is not acceptable, both in terms of what he says And in terms of how he lives, he is not free to pick and choose the parts of the message that are unpopular at any given time. He's not free to adjust the balance and proportion of truth as it is found and given in the gospel. He must faithfully represent it because his conscience is held captive to King Jesus. He is under the law of Christ. And let's face it, let's just, again, let's be honest that getting the balance here is, can be really hard. It can be really a challenge. Faithful flexibility is a hard thing to do, and it is a hard thing to maintain. If we are flexible without due regard for fidelity to the truth, what will happen? We'll lose the gospel, right? If we're willing to be flexible without any concern for fidelity to the truth we will lose the gospel. On the other hand, if we are only concerned about stating the truth with precision and not concerned about communicating it in a considerate, kind, thoughtful, loving way, what's going to happen? Well, our message is going to be distorted and it's going to be disregarded straight out of the gate. And so there is danger here on both sides. Fear of compromise could make us overly cautious about flexibility. We may very well have the truth of the gospel to share, but it is possible to become so rigid that you actually become incapable of communicating that truth to real people. But on the other side, an eagerness to relate could make us impatient with 
doctrinal precision and fidelity. But we're being taught by Paul here that we need both. We have to hold both together. We need to be doctrinally faithful and flexible. And so the challenge here, it's, it's real. But Paul manages, I think, to wed these two concerns together in a really helpful way. Into a strategy that is faithful and adaptable. He sums it up in verse 22. We've already read it once, but take a look at it again with me. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now, do you notice that the sweeping universals, all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And so Paul is teaching us, we shouldn't fear flexibility, but neither can we neglect biblical fidelity. We need both. We need to do the hard work of thinking through what that might look like for us in our time and our place among this people. We need to hold on to both flexibility and faithfulness so that by God's grace we can see some saved. That is, that is after all, why Christ has us here, isn't it? We are here, yes, to, to worship the true and living God together, but we have also been entrusted with a task, a mission. And that mission is to make disciples. That mission is not merely to fill the gaps in our pews with people from other churches. The mission is to go and to seek the lost and with the gospel to bring them in. And so let the, let the empty seats in our pews be a reminder of that, that we have a task unfinished, don't we? A mission that Christ has given to us to reach our neighborhoods, our communities by all lawful means, putting nothing in the way in order to win people with Christ. And so there's an evangelistic imperative this impulse that's driving Paul, he wants to win people to Christ. And that inevitably leads him in different situations to develop a, a missionary strategy that is, that is, on the one hand, remarkably flexible. Um, we, could, we could put it this way, that he, he remains uh, utterly faithful but under the reign of King Jesus, there is a remarkable flexibility that he is able to exercise in reaching people with the gospel. But then thirdly and finally, uh, very, very briefly here, being a servant of all so as to reach them with the gospel, understanding that uh, the only offense he wants to give is uh, the, the offense of the cross as he speaks about it elsewhere. That leads us finally to consider uh, that as Paul labors in this way, there is an evangelistic blessing that he seeks, an evangelistic blessing that he wants to enjoy. See it in verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I'm going to go straight to an illustration here because I think this makes sense to us. I want to talk about Hudson Taylor. Maybe you know his story. Remember Hudson Taylor, not long after the China Inland Mission was founded in 1866, Hudson Taylor went with a fairly large group of missionaries to, to Shanghai, China. And 
Their arrival caused quite a stir uh, because when they arrived, they resolved on the basis of this text to adopt certain Chinese customs, culture, and dress in a way that was, it was considered scandalous to fellow Europeans living within the city. And Taylor, reflecting Paul's principles, said in his own words, this is what he wrote, let us, in everything not sinful, become like the Chinese. He longed to reach the Chinese people with the gospel, so he was ready, in everything not sinful, to become like them, to live among them. Now, Hudson Taylor went on to spend... 51 years in China, pouring out his life for Christ. He eventually retired in Switzerland, but when he was 73, he returned to China and uh, then gave his life for the cause of the gospel. And he is buried today in China alongside of a river awaiting the resurrection. But when you look at Taylor's life, you'll see, I think, that he was so thrilled with the blessing of knowing Jesus and being found in him, so thrilled with the gospel that he was ready to do anything, to be anything, to reach the Chinese people so that they too would come to know Christ. He was, he was captured. He was captivated by the glory of Jesus Christ and the needs of the lost and the possibility that Jesus Christ would use somebody like Hudson Taylor to reach those people with the gospel. See, there's an evangelistic imperative to win people that gripped Paul and the likes of Hudson Taylor. And dear friends, I want it to grip us too. I want it, I want it to get a hold of me. Can we agree to make this an urgent matter of prayer? To, that God would stir up our church and grip our hearts with this irresistible, undeniable longing to see people saved so that we would gladly be their servants for Jesus' sake in order to win some. There's an evangelistic strategy then that we need to work out. It's a challenging one, uncomfortable for many of us. It's one of faithful flexibility. And we need to do the hard work of figuring out what it means for us right here, right now, and this place among this people but there's also a great blessing if we'll do the hard work, a joy that God wants us to know of being instruments in, in the Redeemer's hands. Paul longed for that. He, he took joy in it. And it is a prayer. It is a prayer for myself and for all of us that God would begin to awaken and deepen a desire for precisely that joy among us, that Trinity Presbyterian Church in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, would be a mighty uh, instrument in the hands of the Redeemer in our region and around the world so that the Lord Jesus Christ is honored and glorified. And may the Lord do it. Let's, let's join together in prayer. Our Father, we, we do pray for our community, uh, our neighborhood, uh, our surrounding neighbors, and there are people, so many of them, who do not know Christ. Would you please forgive us for, for our indifference, and would you please begin to do a work in all of our hearts uh, that we would have this burning desire to see Jesus Christ glorified. 
Lord, remind us that we have news worth sharing. We pray that you'd give us wisdom to know how to be faithful and flexible and getting that message out to the world. And we pray that through the feeble efforts of this congregation, that you would be pleased to save some. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.